So good to see all of you here at Thousand Hills this morning. Happy 2020 and a blessed 2020. Um, actually, a, a very happy and blessed new decade for all of us. You too? Yeah, you want to receive that, right? You're silent this morning. <laughs> so, uh, so actually, uh, this morning, as, as I was thinking about the fact that we just entered into a new decade, made me think of how old I actually am. Because it was only 20 years ago that, that actually that we moved from the, the, the 1900s into the 2000s and we, we changed our you know, mil, uh, millennium basically. And this was 20 years ago. It feels like it was yesterday. Where have the days gone? How many of you are with me on that one? Like it was yesterday, right? So it just means I think that we're getting old. And uh, anyway, I'm so happy about, about today, um, about this. Um, we're doing a brand new series, mini-series. Um, it's called 2020 Vision. Um, and it's actually a Bible study in the, in the book of Ezra, a two-week Bible study. So it's this week and next week. And um, I just feel like there's so much God wants to actually download to us from that, that Bible book of Ezra uh, into our lives. And, uh, you know, last year was, was our, our year of getting our house in order as a church. And 2020, I believe, is going to be a year of breakthrough. I mean, you believe that with me, that this is going to be a year of breakthrough. Yeah, you can put your hands together for that. I believe that God is, uh, is actually birthing a, a, a move of, of wholeness and restoration. And this, this move of God was already here last year. Um, actually through our conference, Awakening Conference 2019, he did something that was like off the charts in our midst. It was amazing to, to see that with my own eyes, to experience, you know, what God is doing around the world. He's actually doing it in this place, and he's actually bringing birthing revival and restoration in our midst. And I believe that, that this year, it's, we're going to build off of that foundation from last year. And actually this year during Awakening Conference, you know, we're going to take all of that that God has done this past year and, 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 and grow from there into this new year. How many of you believe that with me? So, so I, re, I need you to really, if you haven't signed up yet for Awakening Conference, let me, let me pitch it again to you. Make sure you sign up for it. You don't want to miss this boat. And actually, tickets are going really fast. We've already given out 200 free tickets. And so that means that there's only like about 200 left. Uh, and, and they're for you if you haven't signed up yet. They're for your friends. You can invite your friends as well. There's a great leadership day happening on Friday during the day. Um, and this is just going to be a great time to celebrate, not just with the Thousand Hills family right here in the Netherlands, but also with our Celebration Church family from Paris and Antwerp. And actually, there's some, there's some uh, church friends from coming in from uh, Barcelona and from Israel and from South Africa and also from, uh, from Zimbabwe. Of course, Pastor Dixon is going to be here to speak as well. So it's going to be a great time to celebrate. So make sure you sign up for that today and get your free tickets for that as well. You know, God's, do, God's doing a new thing. And it is really hard to actually enter into the new things that God is doing and wants to do in our lives if we're chained to the past. If there's, there's stuff in our past that, that maybe, you know, maybe there's pain from the past that we're, we're, we're just carrying with us. Maybe it's Maybe it's sin that we carry with us, secret sin maybe. Maybe it is actually the good things that God has done in the past. It's like, you know, maybe three years ago, God moved in a powerful way in your life, and you're like, well, it can never be as good as what God did three years ago. 
You know, I, I have to think of moments like when I got saved back in 1995. You know, those were amazing moments in my life. And there were other moments where God was birthing revival in my heart. And, and there's always this tendency that we think that what God did in the past, he cannot do today anymore. Or he cannot do in the future anymore. And we got to let that go. It's good to, to remember what God has done in the past. But, but we need to throw ourselves into the new thing that God is doing this year. We've got to throw ourselves into the new thing that God is going to do this new, this new decade. So that's why on your seats, and some of you were wondering already, uh, actually some of you have been throwing rocks during worship, and um, I should have told you not to do that. But actually those, those rocks on the seats here, um, they, they actually symbolize something. They symbolize your burden. They symbolize your pain. They symbolize maybe what, God, what good things God has done in the past. They symbolize that. And, and today you'll have the opportunity towards the end of, of, of the message and, and during worship to actually take the burdens that you're carrying with you and just let them go. Just give them back to God. This morning, God, this morning is going to be a powerful morning if you open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. I really believe that it's going to be a new freedom. I believe there's going to be a new, a new path that God's going to unfold for you this year. If you just let go of stuff that you've been chained to for maybe way too long. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you're the king of glory and that you've come into this place, that you decide to dwell with us, that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them, that you inhabit the praises of your people and that you are here, Jesus, that you're here as the king of glory, God. And, Lord, we just want to give our whole lives to you. We want to surrender to you everything that we are, everything that we have. And God, speak to us powerfully this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so, so we're going to look at the Bible book of um, Ezra. And, you know, if you, if you know a little bit about the Bible, how many of you have actually read the book of Ezra? Okay. How many of you, how many of you didn't read the book of Ezra? So there's a lot of people that don't raise their hands. I mean, it's, 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 it's one, zero or one. It's yes or no, okay? How many did read Ezra? We'll try it again, okay? How many didn't read Ezra? Okay, there's still some people that just don't want to raise hands, right? <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. I'm, I, won't, I won't pick on you anymore. But um, anyway, so the book of Ezra actually um, takes place in a time where the people of God, uh, the Israelites, actually the Jews, the Hebrews, have been um, taken away from their promised land, from Israel, and, and taken to Babylon, taken to uh, actually a place where, where, they're, where they're being oppressed, where they're living as exiles. They're, they're basically taken away from their own, their own habitat, their own home turf. And they're there now in Babylon. If you know a little bit about the Bible, and we've, we've stressed this a few times this past year, that Babylon symbolizes the world system. Babylon symbolizes, you know, a culture where it's all about work, 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 the things you do rather, the thing, rather who, than who you are. It's all about this 24-7 economy. It's like where, where basically the system squeezes every little bit of life out of you. It gets so bad that you don't even have time, you don't even have energy anymore to, to actually, um, you know, serve God as, as the king over your life. And so the Israelites, they're living in, in Babylon, and they're, they're there as, uh, they're being oppressed there. 
Um, and they're there for a reason because they were living in the promised land, and, but they, were start, they started to serve other gods. They started to, uh, you know, they started to um, actually be dis, become disloyal to Yahweh, to, to their God, to the, Yahweh's the name, the covenant name of God. They became disloyal to him and, and took other gods and, and made them their lords. And because of that, God said, well, you can have it your way, you know, Burger King. I'll send you off to a place where actually those gods rule. I'll send you off to Babylon. You don't belong in, in, this, in, this, holy, you know, in this holy land, in, in this sacred space anymore, because you decided this yourself. So Israelites get sent off to, to Babylon. They're living under oppression. But then they start to call out to God again. That's the best thing we can do, that if we feel like we're oppressed in our lives, if we feel like, you know, life is pushing us in certain directions and we feel that this is not, you know, where God wants, wants, wants to lead us, if we feel like we're, we're just constantly being pressured, we need to start calling out to the Lord. And that's what the Israelites did. They started to call out to the Lord and God heard their cry and he did something that is really amazing in the story here. He started to work in the life of this man called Cyrus, which is which was the king of the Persian Empire at that moment. And he started to move in his life. He, he stirs the heart of a, of a king who was by all means secular and started to use him for his own glory. And I want to read with you from Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through, through 4, through 3, through whatever. In the first year of, king of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, and the Lord, you see it, the name, you see this word here with small capitals, which means that in Hebrew, it actually says Yahweh, Y-H. W-H, that's, the, that's God's covenant name, his personal name. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Just want to pause here for a few moments. Because you see here that it's, it is actually God himself, Yahweh himself, who is stirring the heart of this man Cyrus, of this, this king. The king, well, probably one of the most influential kings in his day. God stirred up his spirit. To me, it's really amazing to see this because th there's nothing really godly about this, this man Cyrus. You know, if you read all the other accounts about him from, from secular sources. He, you know, he's not a, like, a, like a godly man or something like that. Still, God chooses to use him and work through him. God uses worldly kings and rulers. And today, God does the same thing. He, he uses rulers and kings and presidents. And we're thinking maybe as Christians, well, I don't like their moral, the morality of their lifestyle. I don't like how they act, how they do, what they write, what they put on Twitter, what they do. God can still use them, whether you agree with them or not. 
That's actually what this account shows so clearly here, that God does that, that God uses this man here. And God put it in his heart to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Interesting thing is that when, when, when Cyrus speaks or writes about this, this, this God, Yahweh, that he sees him as a local God. He sees him as, as the God of Israel. He sees him as the God who, who reigns in, in Jerusalem. He sees him as a local God. That was the perspective that, that most people would have had in the then known world that, that, that a God is local. A God is like, he's like tied to a certain area. So he believed that, that this Yahweh was actually tied to the nation of Israel and, and to the city of Jerusalem. But of course we know that God is so much more than just that, right? He's the God of the universe. And you know, in spite of Cyrus's wrong theology, God could still use him. To me, that's, that's something that is so puzzling because, you know, we always want people to actually think the right things, believe the right things, and then God can use them. But God can actually use people even if their theology is wrong, even if their morality is wrong, God can still use them. And he uses Cyrus here in the story in a powerful way. God can stir up people in authority who may not be believers the way we want them to be. What do we do when that happens? I believe the most important thing is we're just thankful that God uses them, and that we don't judge too, too quickly. Then verse 5 says this, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Interesting to see that God doesn't only stir up the heart of Cyrus, he also stirs up the hearts of the leaders, of the spiritual, as well as the civil leaders of the Israelites, of the, of the Jews that were living in Babylon at that moment. He stirs up their hearts to, to go back to, to want to go back to Jerusalem, to want to go back and rebuild the temple right there. And my prayer for all of us here today that are in this room and also those who are watching online, and those who can't make it today because they're still coming back from holidays, and I hope that you're, you're watching this message. My prayer for you is that God will stir the hearts of all of us to build this house, to build this family together. 2020 is the year when we put our hands to the plow together. You know, the time is, is gone where it's, it's an elite group of people that are, are, are serving in the house of the Lord, that are building the house of the Lord. No, no, it's actually Jesus who's building the house of the Lord, but it's all of us who are building it together with him. So the days are over where it's like a, like a, like a how do you call it, like the, 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 the soccer team, 11 people just running around like crazy on the, in a soccer stadium, and everybody else is watching, cheering them on. No. Everybody in the stadium gets involved. Everybody in the stadium puts their hands to the plow and actually builds God's house together, builds his family together to see the name of Jesus glorified in this city, in Hilversum, in Huizen, in the whole Gooi area. And wherever you're from, whether it's, it's, it's Almere or Lelystad or Utrecht or, or Meidrecht or wherever, Amersfoort, wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. God wants to use you in a powerful way. And we're doing this together. We're building his family together. Ezra 1.7, Cyrus the king also brought 
out of vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Here's the important thing to know here. There's that Cyrus was the Persian king, but there was this other Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar who was there before him. And Nebuchadnezzar was like he was all into his idolatry. What he did is when he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, he didn't only destroy, he took all everything that had value and carried it with him back to Babylon and put it in the temples of his gods. It's like he desecrated those items that belonged to God, that belonged to Yahweh, desecrated it by putting it in the houses of, of demons. And Cyrus was, was different than, than Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus was like, no, 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 no. Those things don't belong in the temple temples of idols. They belong in the temple of the house of God. They belong in the family of God. They don't belong there. So as you go back to Jerusalem to rebuild that house, why don't you just take this stuff with you because it belongs there. And I'd rather have, have Yahweh be, be pleased with me as, 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 the, as the emperor, as the king of this, this big empire than, than just holding on to stuff that doesn't belong to me. I'll just give it back to you and allow God to use it again for his glory. That's what, that's what this Cyrus did. Pretty amazing to see that happen. Now, when you turn the page to Ezra chapter 2, you see this long, long list of names and numbers of people who returned to Judah, who returned to Jerusalem. And I had to, it made me think of this, is that God actually takes note of your investment, how you invest your time and your energy and your finances and your sweat and your tears and everything in the house of God and the family of God. God sees it. That's the reason why there's all these lists of names in, in Ezra chapter 2. I actually should read it here, but we don't have time to do it. We'll take too much time from, from, from the message away. But read it for yourself. Insert your own name in the list of your building and, 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 and faithfully in the house of the Lord. God sees your investment. He sees it. He values it. He thinks it's important what you do for his glory. You see in this Ezra chapter 2 and towards the end of the chapter also that those people, they brought free will offerings to rebuild the temple. Nobody obliged them to do it. Nobody manipulated them into, into doing this. No, they wanted to give this. And they all did it according to their own ability. So it's really interesting to see that these, these people who lived in, in Babylon, who um, lived reasonably comfortable lives, the, the Jews living there, they had pretty comfortable lives. I mean, it was a, you know, in those days it was a, a city with, you know, all the, you know, all the things that you would expect of a bigger city. Um, it was a nice place to live in. In spite of the fact that they were under pressure, that they were under this, like, the world system, the 24-7 economy, and just work, work, work. You know, there was something, there was, there was wealth there. And so often for us, we hold on to um, what we have. We hold on to our lifestyles. And we're actually chained to those lifestyles because we think that when we move and when we start doing the will of God, it's actually we're going to have to say goodbye to that. And who knows what we're going to get in return. Let me tell you, it's always better to follow God and to let go of these things that actually hold you back, holds, holds you chained to, to Babylon and actually step into the things that God has for you to find freedom from these things that hold you chained. 
So these Israelites, they, these Jews, they, they, don't, they didn't only just leave behind the comfortable lifestyles. They, they actually gave of themselves. They gave of their finances. They gave of their time. They gave of their talent. They gave of their energy to rebuild the house of the Lord. They made a huge investment when they took that step and moved away from, from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem, the city that was laying in ruins. I believe that God is asking the same commitment from us today. When you look at the state of the church in the Netherlands, when you look at the state of the church in Western Europe, it's, like, it's kind of like the same thing. The, 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 the house of God, the, the family of God is like laying in ruins here in, in this part of the world. We still have amazing cathedrals, beautiful buildings everywhere in every city, but this, his house lays in ruins family of God is broken and he's calling you and I he's stirring our heart to put our hands to the plow to start working and glorifying him again it's something we can only do together he's asking from commitment for commitment from us today so that so that his name will be glorified so that his family, his house will be built again and that our own families will be built on him. And so that as a result of that, we can reach other people. We can reach the city. We can reach this nation. God is stirring our hearts. Now when you move on to Ezra chapter 3, I told you I was going to be quick. Listen to this. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man. Everybody say one man. To Jerusalem. What does it mean? One man means one man, right? It means they came together in unity. They came together in unity. And that's what God is restoring in our church. He's restoring unity in this place because when there's unity... Amazing things can happen. Divided we fall, but united we stand. That's not in the Bible, but it's very good. They gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Josadak, and his fellow priests. And Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. I just want to... I want to zoom in on that name, Joshua. Joshua. You know, the um, Hebrew language doesn't have vowels. So this word Joshua, this name Joshua is actually the same name as Joshua. Remember Joshua, right, from the Old Testament, book of Joshua. It's the same name even as, as Jesus because the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's the same name. And this man wasn't Jesus, but he was certainly a prefiguration of Jesus. And he was a high priest. Yeshua was a high priest here, and his name was mentioned before Zerubbabel, who was a civil leader. And they got it right here because, you know, rebuilding the temple, even though it's a, it's a big pro process that you have to get into, I mean, getting all the permits, getting all the building materials, all these other things to build a, to build a house for the Lord, all these things are important. But before it became, before it is a civil matter, it is a spiritual matter. Before it is a, a, a structural engineering matter, it is a spiritual matter. 
And they got it right. Yeshua was a spiritual leader. He was mentioned first. And he rose as a humble spiritual leader who loved God, who loved God's house, who loved God's family, who loved God's people. What a great example is he for us. What a great example is he for me as a spiritual leader in this church. So they started building. But before any stone was built of the temple itself, they, they built an altar. The altar was more important than all the rest of it. Why? Because the altar is a place of worship. It's a place where God and man meets. That's why the altar is so important in this church. Because we want to give you opportunities to encounter God. To meet him face to face. To, to experience him with all your heart. The altar was built. And what did they sacrifice on the altar? Burnt offerings. You got that right. You know what burnt offerings signify? They are offerings of total consecration to Yahweh. It's like, it's basically saying to the Lord, God, I bring you this animal, and, and I'm, I'm laying it down here on this altar as a burnt offering, and we're going to it, set it on fire, and there's nothing going to be left anymore after, after we burnt it. Just some ashes. And God, that's what I want to do with my life. I'm giving my life away. I'm signing my life away to you, God. I surrender it all. I surrender my whole life to you. That's what, what it signifies. That's what a burnt offering is. And that's what these, these Jewish leaders here did. They signed themselves away. I mean, that's what God is calling us to do this year, to, to no longer look at our own priorities, to no longer look at our own lives, to no longer look at what is important to me, but at what is important to him. We give our lives, everything, no holding back, no turning back. Interesting thing is, in the next verse, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Just see this. There's fear upon the Israelites. And you know, sometimes when, how many of you have ever been afraid? Okay, half of you, the rest is probably lying. We'll pray with you after the service. Straighten you out. There was fear there. What do you do when you have fear? You become more afraid. Many times we just go over and over at all the eventual, look at all the eventualities that make us even more afraid. Make us even more concerned. But, but I believe that the best thing is what these people actually did. They were fearful of the nations that were surrounding them for a good reason. Because they were more strong than they were. They had powerful armies and whatever. And they could actually get this whole project, put it on pause, and we'll see that next week. But when we fear, the best thing we do is we look up to Jesus. We look up to him, and that's what these people did. That's why they burnt, offered burnt offerings. They wanted to give themselves to the Lord. They wanted to focus on God. You know what? When we fear God, and this sounds very negative, fearing God, it's like we're afraid of God. We, we have to be afraid because he has like a baseball stick and he's going to whack us when we, when we do the wrong thing. No, that's not what fearing God is about. Fearing God is about uh, really revering him, about respecting him, about honoring him and seeing him as the God of the universe, knowing that he's way bigger than you are. 
that he has the best intentions for you. And he's, you know, if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything or anyone else. That is such a powerful thing to know that we don't have to be afraid of anything else if we fear God, if God is number one in our lives. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything or anyone else. Look up to Jesus. So next thing that happens is they celebrate the Feast of Booths. And this is a feast that helps the, help the Israelites remember their wilderness wanderings. Remember that, um, that before they, they, they moved to the promised land out of Egypt, that they actually had to spend 40 years in the desert because of, you know, some of the wrong decisions they had made. We remember. We're called to remember. That's why it's good to remember the, the good things that God has done in our past. The bad things is better to, you know, God doesn't do bad things in our lives. So when we have done bad things, it's better we forget about them, right? But when God has done good things in our lives, we remember them, but we don't get chained to them. We don't want to just keep going back like, oh, well, it was so good in the past. He can never do it, something this good again. Of course he can do something this good again in the future, even something bigger than that. So the Feast of Booths reminded them of those wilderness wanderings. And now coming back from Babylon, um, they, they had a similar situation. You know, they, uh, they were exiles in Babylon, just like they were, they were captives in Egypt. And now they, they had to go back to the promised land. And, and by celebrating the Feast of Booths, they remembered they remembered what God had done. They were called to do that every year. And so, so we're called to remember as well. But then here, basically, comes the, the key passage for, um, from our message this morning. And it's from Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being built though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So you see these two groups of people here. There's these, there's these people that were young enough to not know the history, to not know what the temple of God was like before it was rebuilt. They're like, well, they're so excited. We just returned to Jerusalem. All these amazing things are happening. God is faithful. And then there's this other group of older people and they're thinking well I've seen what it was like before and yes it's good what God is doing right now but I know what it was like before and they're weeping those two sounds they blend together here as they were built, rebuilding the foundation and I, you may be part of any of those two categories you may be here you may be new and you're excited about what God is doing here praise God Hallelujah. But you may also be here and you've been here for a longer time and you know the amazing things that God has done in the past. In the last, what is it? We're, we're 14 years old. We will be 14 years old this year. 
And, we, and you think about the amazing things that God has done in the past, and you're like, well, I'm not sure if what God is doing now is anywhere near what he's done in the past. And it makes you feel like sad. You're weeping. I believe that today is an opportunity for, for us to actually give a place to those memories, to actually do something with those memories, the amazing things that God has done in the past, and say to the Lord, Lord, it was great. We've enjoyed your presence. We've done amazing things, but at the same time, I miss some people that may have left. But I trust you, Lord, that you have the best intentions this church. I trust that you have the best intentions with, with me as I am part of this church. God, I just want to give it all to you. That's what this, this little rock can symbolize for you today. It can symbolize your pain. It can symbolize your maybe your, your sin, your hidden sin, but it can also symbolize the beautiful memories you have from how things used to be. Again, you don't have to forget them. You can be thankful for them. But don't let them chain you. Don't let them hold you back anymore. Because we're, we're entering into a new decade. We're entering into a new year where I believe the new thing that God has started this past year, God is going to build on that this, this coming year. And we need all of us to be involved. We need all of us to kind of, you know, every burden that we carry with us to, to leave it aside because we need to run with Jesus. We need to run into the amazing plan that God has for us. That's why it's so important, so powerful. One of the passages that, um, you know, that um, have been coming up time and time again this last year was Isaiah 43, verse 16 and following. I want to read that over you. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lay down, they cannot rise. They're extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, which were amazing things, right? For the people of God. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the deserts. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare Last year, during summer, we had all these guest speakers. My wife and I were on a break. We're gone for five Sundays. Never had that in my whole life. We had guest speakers. I didn't really give them a briefing about what they should speak about. Not at all, actually. And every week, if you were here, you, you, you'll remember this. Every week, they, they hit on the same passage. They, they ended up with the same passage. The new thing that God is doing in our midst. And the, the problem is, there's no way you can get, it, get away from this passage. I mean, we were in Austria, two and a half, 2,000, wait, 1,000 kilometers away from here, this, this Christmas vacation, and we're in my, my wife's sister's house. In the bathroom, there is a calendar which has the same verse in German written there. I'm like, God, I get it. A month ago, I was in South Africa, Shikwara Lodge, Christian-owned you know, Wild Park that funds a missions organization. You'll, you'll meet the leader of that uh, during conference. He'll be here. 
Jacques Van Bommel. And um, actually there, it says, it has this big sign up there. It says, this land is dedicated to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then at some other place, it, it actually quotes part of this passage as well. It says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the desert, rivers in the desert. <laughs> I'm like, God, what you're doing with me? You're messing me up. I know you're, wanting to do, you're doing a new thing. I don't know how God is working in your life, but I could just imagine that he's just like throwing you back and back and back on that verse in a different way maybe than, he, than the way how he's speaking to me about it. But God has done a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And God will do a new thing. And all he's asking from you and I is, is are you willing are you willing to jump? Are you willing to step into that river? Those rivers in the desert that, that this Isaiah 43 passage speaks about. Are you willing to step into that? Let the river of God overflow you. Step into the new thing that God has for you. We can't be chained by our past. We can't be stuck in our past. We have to get on board with what God is doing. Let's not miss the boat. Let's not miss the train. He's here. He's doing a new thing in our midst, and he's inviting all of us on board. You know what? If you take that step, if you dare to take that step, if you just do, he's going to allow you to step into a new phase of wholeness in your life, your family, and this church life as well. we need it. We need wholeness. We need shalom in our lives. And you know what? The good news is that those who have left the past year, they're welcome to return. We'll embrace them. We'll welcome them back in. There's grace for everyone. Nobody has to judge anyone. Nobody has to look down on everyone. Anyone. You're welcome in this place. You know, sometimes there's so much chaos. There's so much confusion and, and people make decisions based on that but this is this is the house of the Lord this is the family of the Lord and people are welcome in this place no matter what decisions they've made no matter they made mistakes or maybe they didn't make it doesn't matter welcome here so on that let's extend that invitation if you run into people maybe have left maybe this last year maybe before Invite them back into this family. They're, they belong here. And so we together can move on into the great things that God has for you. You know, 2019 was the year to get our house in order. 2020 will be the year of breakthrough. It is the year of breakthrough. Let's just praise God for that. Maybe we just praise God. Maybe you just all stand to our feet right now. God, we thank you for wholeness. We thank you for a new thing, God, that you're doing in our midst. And, and Lord, we, we want to jump into it. We want to lay hold of the amazing things that you want to do in our lives. And God, we want to step into that breakthrough that you have for us. We want to we wanna be faithful in the little things that you'll place us over bigger things. So that's what we want to do today, Lord. We want to be faithful, God, to your house. We want to be faithful to you, Lord. And God, stir our heart to help build this family, 
God, help us also to give generously for the vision from our hearts, Lord. God, we don't want to be manipulated. We don't want to be pushed. We just want to give because it's our free will. It's our, it's our heart to do it. God, we also want to stand in unity with everyone else who's here today and who couldn't be, make it today, Lord. God, in unity, God, amazing things can happen. God, I also want to surrender ourselves fully as a burnt offering. We want to surrender our pain. We want to surrender also the good memories, Father, of what you've done in the past in this house. We want to give it all to you, Lord. We want to give you the opportunity to give it, to, to give it a place, Lord, in our own hearts. But we want to surrender ourselves. God, we also want to commit ourselves to the new thing that you're doing in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen.